0: And you can learn more about what he, him and his team are up to by searching for Harvard Grace Capital. But I'm going to do a, a, everybody a favor and put that link in the show notes and make it clickable. So just click on through there. But it's Harvardgracecapital. And Stuart and his team have a number of syndications that they run that acquire different properties. And it and, and helps individuals on a passive nature accrue some wealth. But, Stuart, I really appreciate your time here today.
1: I really appreciate you having me, Jack. It's quite an honor. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm always curious, Stuart. Everybody seems to get into syndication as in a step-by-step process. Did you start in single-family homes and move into multifamily syndications, or is that where you just jumped right in?
1: I guess I've always done everything a little bit at an accelerated pace. Uh, I started out with one duplex, renting back in 2000. And then about six to nine months later, I had 14. And and then from there, I started building houses. Some of them built for rent, some of them built to sell. And then I started renovating condominiums and just sprung up from there. And quickly, because I manage everything that, that we do, I quickly figured out that I don't really like residential housing. Uh, I'm not opposed to multifamily deals. Uh, We've not syndicated a multifamily deal yet. Uh, We do uh, other types of commercial, uh, a lot of which uh, will follow on to the wave of multifamily, like storage and suburban office. But again, because we manage it, it's got to be a very special deal for us to do a multifamily deal. And I think multifamily in most cases is uh, really overpriced.
0: With that being said, you're doing primarily commercial deals. Are you, how does your portfolio stack right now? What are you focused on?
1: Our most recent acquisition was a self-storage facility in Huntsville, uh, Alabama. And even that one's is a niche of storage. It's 125 units of large thousand square foot units targeted at RV and boat storage. And because of that, and because we're not renting trucks and selling boxes, we can operate very efficiently, and we don't have full time staff dedicated to that one. Uh, it's pretty much remote managed uh, and uh, it stays 100% full. Uh, our, our other assets are, like uh, I can say, suburban office. Some people call that retail. It, it can go both ways. We're not doing glass front buildings or anything like that. We're doing office types that are all consumer facing insurance agents, uh mortgage companies, uh, yoga studios. I got one, I got a Krav Maga studio. Uh, and they're all consumer facing and they're all driven by the, the rooftops centered around that asset.
0: What what drove you to focus on the commercial world? Was it the experience you had with the single family homes and the duplexes and the like?
1: There's something about me. I like the more longer term nature of it. When you build a relationship and you you do the sale and you convince somebody, you've made that sale for three to five years. And in the case of medical people, sometimes 10 years. And if you do your lease correctly, like with proper cost reimbursements and, and escalators, then you've built a very nice piece of financial paper that's going to serve you w- without having to resell that every year. In multifamily, yeah, you have some tenants who will stay many years, but for the most part, they're in a year and a half and they're gone. And then you got to go in and uh, fix it up. And most people are, are good tenants and, and, but you're still going to have to repaint it, clean the carpets, and then you got to do the sale all over again. Now there's that may not be that big of a lift these days. Multifamily is quite a bit. Yeah. It's very much in demand. Uh, but I like uh, the efficiency and the one the long term nature of the sale when it comes to commercial properties. Yeah, if I say that the storage thing is almost the opposite of that. They're all kind of month to month leases. the The ease of management and the ease of uh, moving people in and out uh, is it's a different animal and i really like the storage with the remote management model cuz we're not running a retail business out of there we're collecting rent and the ease to, to control your revenue yeah it, yeah it's pretty easy to raise your revenue up people and they do tend to stay a while and when you're renting to people they got a 750,000 dollar rv that they have to park somewhere they're not that price sensitive
0: it's interesting that you're picking those customer-centric or those customer-facing businesses, you were mentioning Yoga Studios and Krav Maga and a few other things. Have you seen any kind of change to that asset over the past couple of years because of the lockdowns and chaos that that we went through?
1: Yeah, interestingly, that particular office asset we closed yeah. 13 months ago, closed on January 31st of last year. and. And raising money for that deal, as I talk to people across the country, depending on where they are, office, are you crazy? And this particular asset I had managed for a client for four years, it was full. I already knew all the tenants. And to answer your question, no, there's not been a lot of change other than the rents are going up as we've had some tenant turnover. But so here's where I was going with that. We're in the South. And pretty much in the South, since June of 2020, we've acted like there never was a pandemic. Everybody just went back to work and we did what what we normally did. And that's been proven out, whether in Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, I guess Florida and Georgia were the leaders in that of no restrictions. And even during the, the lockdown, the dentists still saw patients. We did not have a single tenant, even have a single late payments. Uh, now, the Crow of McGough studio was absolutely hit the worst because it was not deemed essential. As uh, There's a CPA firm. He has a small office, and that was tax season for them, too. Yeah, they were going in and doing taxes. They had to. The home health people, they were essential. They have an office here in a training facility. They were deemed essential. Most of our people were deemed essential or otherwise had reserves or PPP loans or whatnot to, to pay. So we, we fared very well. And in the intervening times, you know, what what really happened in a lot of cases in twenty twenty is when you did have commercial renewals, the uh, the tenants opted for shorter terms. So they said, I, "I don't want to be locked in." So they might want they might ask for a two year term. if It will come up for a renewal or a, a three versus a five. And it's sure we can do that, and we we did that with some people. But when you go to the shorter term, you usually get a higher rate because it's you're not the reason you go long is so you can lock in the rate. Uh, And now that we're coming out of some of those terms and we're feeding off of Nashville and other, I just wrote a lease for the biggest amount that, that that we've ever dreamed of having here at 24 bucks a foot way here, 30 miles South of Nashville in a suburban office. And, and and they thought it was a bargain. And as I look at the competition around, I'm still three bucks below my competition. and, And tickle pink with those rates as people have moved in moved out and that, that's right really talking about two tenants because one of them is a church and they built a building so everybody knew they were building, moving out but as the market has increased now i've locked in 24 bucks a foot for uh, five years in one case and, and three years for another uh, and i'm just you know i'm just tickled i think it's all been very beneficial
0: Earlier, you mentioned about the remote management for your storage uni- units. Can you talk a little bit about that? What do yeah. you do to manage those remotely?
1: There are a number of options of software that are available for storage management, as you might imagine. And by going to our website, you can reserve a space. Each tenant gets to set up their, same pro- uh, their own profile, which this is a process most of us are familiar with. Uh, so they can pay online, reserve online, uh, send in requests online. They can schedule their uh, end of lease online. Uh, And and we encourage people to do that. But we do 12 hours a day. We do manned phones. And so we take a lot of phone calls as well. But the point is we don't have to be on site. We have cameras everywhere. I can control the gate from anywhere. I can control the gate from my phone. Hey, my code's not working we look and make sure they're not locked out for payment. And sometimes things happen with the gate. So I open the gate for them and, and me or my staff. And it's just a whole new world with technology. So we're really big property tech. And, and if technology can solve a problem and reduce a uh, headcount, we're all for that. And not having any time staff. There is, it's a game changer Um, because self-storage is incredibly profitable anyway. This facility is even more profitable because
0: it's such a low operating cost. I guess I haven't never talked to anybody about the software that is available for storage units. It sounds like you can get software to do automated-wise on nearly anything. So if they, for example, you just mentioned, they get essentially locked out of their storage unit if they fall behind. Yeah, uh,
1: payments are due on the first. If they're, it, it's like most rent. It's late after the fifth, so on the sixth day, the software just automatically turns off their gate code. If and, and then we start the calling process and stuff like that, and then most everybody gets caught up by the fifteenth day. We can then go also lock them out of their unit, it, it, and doesn't happen that often. And when I say remote, it's not like we're never there. Mm -hmm. I'm there. Our people are there at least twice a week for a couple of hours, anyway. But yeah, there's a that's a storage, pretty standard operating procedure. Is when your payments not not kept current, then they pretty well lock you out.
0: Between the storage units and the commercial properties, how many properties do you currently manage or or own?
1: We have four right now that we own and manage.
0: How many units are would that between the?
1: How many tenants that's being? About 190 rentable units of various kinds.
0: Sure. Do you have anything on the horizon? Something that you're trying to possibly acquire next?
1: We have another, what we think is really attractive, suburban office property in Madison, Alabama that we are pursuing. Another 100% full facility, all of them consumer facing business types. And we're excited about that when I expect to sign that contract tomorrow.
0: Okay. You've mentioned Alabama and Tennessee so far. Is that primarily the markets you're in?
1: Yeah, we like to say our market is the eight hundred and forty-five hundred and sixty-five corridor. And what that refers to is two interstates. 840 is a uh, loop around the southern end of Nashville and 565. 565- is a is a connector through the northern part of Alabama, and, and so we like to say we're investing in between those two interstates. The other way to say that is the Tennessee River Valley, uh, but the heartbeat of that area is is Huntsville. Uh, as we're talking right now, I'm in one of our assets in Spring Hill, Tennessee, uh, south of Nashville. Because we manage, we property manage everything, so we we, we want to look at everything, anything we can get to within an hour. And so, uh, you know, Huntsville about an hour from here, vice versa. There's some great small towns that are also benefiting from the thriving Huntsville economy. And so there's are some uh, opportunities in places like Pulaski and Fayetteville uh, th- th- that we look at from time to time. And those are type of markets that most, most investors won't take a look at. We're not even talking secondary and tertiary markets. You're talking micro markets, but. I don't know who said it first, but all real estate's local. And if what is what is going on the ground, then you can make a good investment.
0: If somebody came to you and asked, like, how do they get started with this, would you advise the same thing as to get very familiar with a local market? That's what
1: I would suggest. Now, I got a lot of friends in this business, and they have chosen to focus on a particular asset class. And I don't think that's the wrong approach. I am... I am so focused on property management as a, it's really a loss leader if you want to, I think the property management model is broken in that most, the standard rates do not compensate good managers. And the only way they can make a decent living is by taking on more and more properties, which is a self-defeating purpose. We do that because that's, our best way to deliver on the performance that w- that we sold to our investors, yes, I probably would recommend that to somebody else, but it's not the only way uh, I think um, you can get just as focused a- a- and learning about a particular asset class like multifamily uh, which there's a lot of specialty information to know about that uh, or focusing on storage there's again specialty information to know about. So I think there's more than one way to to come about the problem. But, you know, my opinion is um, what the way we're doing it is it's the right way for us. And it's the right way for us to deliver uh, returns to our investors.
0: So just to remind everybody, head over to HarvardGraceCapital.com. And I'll make sure, again, to have that link in the show notes. And if you have found some value so far in this episode, can you do us a quick favor and share it with one of your investor friends? It would really help out the show. So, Stuart, I'm really curious as to what you think regarding. You've been in a couple different downturns now. With I, I understand, you experienced a 2008 downturn, and now we're in a economic flux, to say the least, at the moment. Do you see any similarities? And and what was your experience in 2008?
1: In 2008, I was investing in real estate and doing all the wrong things. I was doing everything with debt. I was doing everything by myself and I was leveraging one property to go buy another one. And so I was just uh, maxed out on debt uh, without regard to reserves. And, 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 but for the lack of just reasonable reserves, I would have weathered the 2008 just fine because the assets were fine. We just needed a little bit of fallback money to last us a year, or 18 months, but I didn't do that. And and paid for it dearly compared comparing 2008 to now i don't see any similarities whatsoever for first we have a th- very thriving job market and when people have jobs they spend money secondly the banks are still actively lending so here's a comparison 2008 i, I did a personal financial statement for a bank ju- as of june 30 2008 and based upon appraisals and other third-party data, I had a net worth over $10 million. The next 90 days, by September 30th, a total financial meltdown had happened. John McCain had said to his opponent, Barack Obama, say, hey, let's leave the campaign trail and go back to Washington and fix this stuff. And Barack Obama said, good luck with that, and kept campaigning. And But all the no, Lehman Brothers had failed. Bear Stearns had failed. A countrywide mortgage had failed, and they were sitting around figuring out how to pump liquidity into the system. Uh, And so banks had absolutely stopped lending in that 90-day period. And so I didn't pull another financial statement; couldn't afford the appraisals, but I assumed that I was then underwater $5 million. So a $15 million swing in 90 days. And, And it was all completely related to the availability of credit. If you know anything about real estate, the, the value of your real estate is completely connected to how much you can borrow on it. Uh, because leverage always uh, impacts uh, asset values. And that's not happening now. There's plenty of money out there to be borrowed. Are uh, standards higher? Yes. or interest rates higher? Yes. Standards were not crazy a year ago when I financed a property for 10 years for three and a quarter percent. The underwriting was Obviously, it was easier. Cash flow coverage was easier because it was three and a quarter percent interest. It was still limited to 75 percent uh, loan to value. It, it, and so I didn't, I don't feel like things got crazy. And so, just the sheer raising of interest rates is not going to kill this market. It has slowed it down, which I believe is the Fed's intent here and in trying to fight inflation. It has slowed it down. We're active in the market and we're cash flow buyers, and we almost don't care what the interest rate is. What we care about is the margin we have over 1.2 times coverage of cash flow. And if there's enough margin there to, to pay a return to our investors and we can get it for that price, then we're in the game. Interest rates have gone up. They've also come back down a little bit. So, no. Sorry, that's a long answer to your question. No. I don't see any similarities between these two um, slowdowns.
0: With all of that experience, you probably have some advice for people when they're evaluating properties and maybe some things that they should avoid or some things that they should be looking for.
1: Yeah. Underwriting is key, no matter what the economic climate. I just alluded to um, our basic tenant that we're looking for, we, we want to. When we like a property, we want to be able to buy it and and get a 1.2 times coverage on it and have enough cash flow to distribute a nice cash flow. That's when you're looking at at a cash flowing property, which I think should be the basis of everybody's portfolio. I'm not against development deals or uh, fix and flips or anything else. That is a very different kind of deal and and they all carry a whole lot more risk than what we are going after right now. And those are a lot of times good opportunities. The development and the fix and flip risk is you're buying now and you're betting on what the market will be two years down the road. When we're doing it, we are eliminating a lot of risk by dealing with stabilized properties, with locked-in leases. And our only real risk is what happens to the tenant's business yeah, as whatever economic factors, because we're going to have a fixed interest rate. You know, we've locked in our income and then we control the expenses as much as possible. But if you've got good leases, uh, most of your expenses are going to be sent back to your tenants anyway. Uh, so that that's how we approach things and eliminate risk. If there's one piece of it, you know, one thing I would suggest is you know, when you're underwriting, Make sure that you understand that after you purchase a piece of property, the your taxes and your insurance are going up. They're not going to be the same thing that your seller was paying. It's going to happen pretty universally, and they're going to be based on the price you just paid. So make sure when you're doing your pro formas that you're increasing those two line items in, in calculating your projected cash. Yeah,
0: that was a painful mistake that we learned. It usually only takes once. There we go yeah that was a painful lesson that we learned a while back uh, so i'm I'm curious as to your opinion now, since you've had the experience in investing in single family smaller properties and now moving into the syndication world. can you give people who are on the fence starting whether they should be doing this themselves like you originally did or being involved in a project such as yours, what are some of the benefits? Compare and contrast a little bit between the two scenarios. Yeah. If
1: you have the desire to go out there and and sponsor your own deals, heartedly applaud you, go pursue your desire and give me a holler. I'm happy to talk you through it. I've, I'm old. Yeah. I've made a lot of mistakes. So I might can help you avoid some. If you don't have that desire at all, the absolutely get involved passively because anybody who's suffered through the stock market of the last year. You know, that's not what investing is supposed to be. Investing is supposed to be putting money into reasonably stable assets uh, that will generate cash flow and capital gains. And stocks can do that, but they're also subject to extreme fluctuations, as we've seen. And so if real estate sounds interesting to you, uh, but you don't want to do it yourself, then absolutely pursue many of the options to invest in real estate passively. And the tax benefits, whether you're the sponsor or the passive investor, are massive tax benefits. 100% bonus depreciation is gone. Now we have 80% bonus depreciation, which is still pretty good considering from where I started in my early accounting career when you used to get to right off uh, half of a 30-year life uh, in year one. Uh, So you get massive tax benefits uh, up front. If your sponsor will do a cost segregation study, which we always do on ours, and that's reclassifying part of your property from real property to shorter life personal property, that enhances that tax benefit. You can take out cash through distributions somewhat on a tax-free basis, especially if you were able to refinance the property and send money back to your investors, that money comes back to you tax-free. So you can get cash and still have deductible losses. All of our investors are experiencing that right now. They have, we're paying out on average about a 10% uh, cash on cash return across our portfolio. And and nobody's paying any tax on that because their tax benefits are outweighing that. Real estate, unless you sold in 2007, has, has always appreciated in value. It's not going to do a Facebook type of return, but it's not going to have a Facebook type of uh, volatility either. Uh, I like to say real estate is the original asset class, and that uh, Wall Street's done quite the number on us uh, by calling it an alternative, as it's not an alternative. It's the original asset class, and, and it's been around since uh, one caveman let another caveman use use a cave. It's it, it's not rocket science it, anyway. Uh, I think if you're interested at all in investing, either as a sponsor or, as, yeah. or passively, absolutely pursue it.
0: So, if you want to reach out to St- Stuart and his team to see how they can maybe help you with this, head over to capital.com. But, Stuart, this has been a great conversation so far. And I warned you that what's coming, but I was hoping to hit you up on some rapid fire sure. questions here now. First of all, is there a real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today?
1: Yeah, real estate investing myth is, is if you're going to make money in real estate, you have to be willing to get up at all hours of the night and go take care of somebody else's toilet. That's not true. Somebody might have to, but the, the, most of the money you can make in real estate has nothing to do with doing the duties at the property manager.
0: What book would you recommend or what are you reading right now?
1: I realize that Rich Dad, Poor Dad is off the limits, but uh, so I recommend that one. But uh, one of my favorites of, uh, is Dan Sullivan's Who Not How. I think I got the author right. And it's more from an entrepreneurial uh, point of view as that we entrepreneurs, we want to do everything. It, this book encourages us to not do that and to find the right person to do whatever needs to be done.
0: What was your biggest real estate investing mistake or business? And what did you learn from it?
1: mentioned that earlier is going into these properties back in oh six o seven without the proper reserves, and it worked for several years and the whole world thought the tide would never go out, but it did but for the lack of about three hundred thousand oh maybe five hundred thousand of reserves, I could have saved a ten million dollar net worth.
0: That's one of the things that has been propagated throughout our real estate. Industry or ship, if you will, for a long time is leverage, acquire as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Yep. So some really smart people gave me all that advice and, and pursued it to the max. <laughs> if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Go slower. Go slower.
0: Yeah. That's the opposite of everybody I've ever had on the show. Really? Yeah. Most want to go faster or start earlier, or both. It's never be more cautious or take be a little slower at it. Be a little more.
1: Yeah, I get it. And right now, I have plans for this year, and I want to go faster. I haven't really changed who I am, but i made some mistakes. And the faster you go, uh, the faster you will make your mistakes. So if right. you're being prudent and you have good systems, once you have good foundation, uh, then you can go fast. So, I had never laid the proper foundation.
0: This is the only one I'm going to time you on. You have exactly 60 seconds, and you have to give everybody one tip, trick, advice that they can implement in their business today to have a direct impact. What would it be? Speak one on one
1: with all of your people, deepen those relationships, uh, and try to build real trust. If you cannot get there, then you need a change in that team, whether these are contractors. Or, or employees, but be very directly involved relationally. And it doesn't mean go in there and micromanage them, and whatever they're doing, but
0: be very relational with
1: everyone on your team. That would be my be my
0: tip for nope. that. Great piece of advice. Stuart, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today?
1: I'd like to talk sometime about the benefits of investing in real estate uh, in inflationary times. I think the math and economics there are very interesting and fascinating. But it is a, it's a show all to its own. And yeah. it, maybe it gets my my inner geek going on because you get to talk about some really high level economic type things. But it's a real thing.
0: It's a, there's a real benefit to it. Everybody can hold tight for part two then. That's great. Love to. It so, was great chatting with you. Great meeting you, Stuart. And uh, again, it is. HarvardGrid.com. thanks and we'll talk to you soon thank you so much if you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing if so please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review subscribing to our youtube channel or joining our growing network on facebook and twitter you can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes see you next time